Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Shayun Shikumbi is Brooklyn-raised, Nigerian-bred, and seeks to connect her diaspora community with their native roots to spark a generational revolution in Africa. Her work with Carfi, a consulting and leadership development firm, and its charitable arm, the Carfi Foundation, tackles the issue of untapped talent among youth and the most marginalized communities in Africa. She strongly believes that democratizing the entrepreneurial space is vital to Africa's economic development. That means empowering any and all, regardless of wealth, status, or geography, with the resources and tools needed to lead and succeed. Shayun, welcome to the show. Welcome back to another WTF podcast episode. How are you, Michelle? I am great. Welcome, everybody. So today we get to speak to an amazing lady working on African leadership um, with an African lens, Siyun. And what I'm excited about exploring with her today is this idea of, you know, again, what are the key components of, of leadership? From an African in an African context, so that question, you know, who 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 are we creating in terms of um, looking at the continent from a leadership perspective? How how do we create those those types of of leaders and game changers and disruptors? So I'm looking forward to talking about that and also about the car her her um, brand or her uh, business Carfi which is a consultant technical advisory sort of hub um that 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 develops leaders and supports them um with different wraparound services and then you know looking at what do we what do we need to do to sharpen so one of the things she talks about is iron sharpening iron and what are the key components around developing on the entrepreneurs of the future? Mm-hmm. And I also like that this whole concept, and we've seen it in quite a few of the guests that we've spoken to, who some of them might have left the continent and how they're taking what they've learned and going back or influencing and training and developing people on the continent. So it's not this sort of one-way brain drain anymore mm-hmm. where you see that that backward flow. 
going back into the continent. And we see, we're starting to see a lot more of that in terms of what Shun is doing. And there are lots of other young African leaders out there who are doing that, who are going out, getting what they need and bringing it back home so that they could build home. And I think that's a big part of what Shun is doing. So, well, go ahead. Let's have her take it away. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's just get into it. Can you please tell us about yourself and your journey to starting Carpe? Yeah, I'll try to make it a long story short. <laughs> so um, I always start with the inspiration behind why I went into this work. And it's very personal for me because I had a grandfather who was a diplomat for, I want to say, at least 20 odd years. Uh, he worked for a couple of Nigerian administrator administrations, uh, presidential administrations, and um, was always in awe of him traveling the world, living in different countries. Um, the first time I was introduced to his work was when I went to visit him at five years old in Egypt when he was the representative there. And so um, I've always been enamored by the idea of this diplomatic slash international policy work. Uh, but it became more concrete for me why it was significant or important once I entered my master's degree program at the University of London, SOAS, uh, where I studied international management, specifically for the Middle Eastern and North African region. And uh, my work with CARFI ties, it makes the connection between human capital development and uh, private sector development as well. So uh, I, I, I've always been interested in more so how we're building the human capacity versus just, you know, once we have the human capacity, what do we do with it, right? Because I don't think we spend enough time thinking about how we're intentionally um, from, you know, the very youngest age up to college, how we're intentionally pouring in the right kind of knowledge, resources, and tools into our communities to make sure that they're ready to be able to create thriving economies. Uh, we always wait to be reactive rather than proactive. And so my work with CARFI, the mission statement is to obtain sustained resources for aspiring African leaders. And what that means basically is making sure that, first of all, there's the inspiration or the aspiration to become a leader. And then secondly, when you do have that desire, making sure you have the right tools and resources available to you um, in a very intentional way. So again, starting from a very early age, which um, for me right now with CARFI, we're starting with college um, age students. So we have a initiative called the Genvolution Conference, where I spoke to over 500 students um, across the country about the U.S., uh, about uh, going back to their home countries or the countries of their parents and thinking about entrepreneurship there, thinking about the kind of impact they could have versus having a job here in the States or abroad. And then uh, I recently started my other initiative called the Iron Series Sessions, where I traveled to Nairobi, Kenya, and led a pilot workshop on entrepreneurship as well in Kibera, which is, according to my research, if not the largest, one of the largest uh, urban slums in Africa. And I believe the second largest after uh, the one in India. So, uh, you know, just going and when I say all of this, I also want to emphasize that I'm also reaching out to the unexpected 
aspiring leaders. So I think a lot of times when we talk about building leadership in Africa, we have this set profile of the individuals we think are most suited to be trained for that type of work. So they're people who had the luxury of having parents who are college educated or some, had some form of formal education. Uh, they speak the language of you know the Western civilization. So they've been uh, cultured or attuned to the way that West, the Western world operates and they think, okay, I'm gonna take that knowledge and translate it back to um, my home countries. Uh, and we don't think about building from the grassroots level a lot of times. So for me, I'm seeing the inspiration for leadership from the most unlikely groups, of the, especially the, the most vulnerable groups of women, uh, people who uh, are living in poverty and are looking to escape uh, for a way out. Um, they're the ones who know the real plight of what's going on across the African continent. So of course, in my mind, they should be the most equipped to actually be the leaders for um, systemic change across the continent. So that's what I Wonderful. do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it sounds like you've really given this some thought and definitely understanding sort of the intersection between um, international development and diplomacy and the, you know, the quest for authentic African leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about your, your uh, background? You talked about um, SOAS, shout out University of London. Yes. Um, but, but can you talk about maybe your, um, you know, professional experience, um, and, and, and whether that sort of brought you, uh, to this, to this point and how that, yeah, it's been a whirlwind of a journey. <laughs> so, um, I, I graduated with my bachelor's degree during what was then the worst economic recession ever. Well, we have yet to see what's gonna happen um, this year in 2020. But um, at that time it was considered uh, the, the lowest we could go. Uh, so my I, at that time I was doing an internship at the UN. Uh, the goal was to continue on uh, working professionally with the UN. Um, and I already been doing a lot of amazing work uh, getting, uh, I was working for the uh, Office of the Special Advisor on Africa. So I was already doing a lot of uh, hands-on work with getting ready for the General Assembly and a lot of uh, high-level uh, side events. And everything just kind of came crashing down <laughs> right when my dreams were about to take off uh, with the economy. So uh, I had to sit down and re-kind of re-strategize uh, or reframe my thinking around how I was going to pursue this work. Um, not necessarily going to immediately be the glamorous life that I saw my grandfather <laughs> pursuing. Uh, so when I was doing my research at SOAS, again, I paid a lot of attention to starting out at the very um, basic levels of human capital development, which is education, even at the primary school level and also the secondary school level. And so I thought, let me become a teacher. So I started doing that. I uh, was a classroom teacher in the U.S. at the time, uh, but in one of the poorest congressional districts uh, in the country, which was the South Bronx, and also an area and home to, I believe, the largest African immigrant population in New York. So um, even though I didn't envision my path starting that way, it was actually the best way to start because uh, 
it, it, it helped me renegotiate some of the assumptions that I had again about education and what I was taught even as a child of African immigrants that all you have to do is just go to school and you know you'll be guaranteed like prosperity <laughs> uh, social economic advancement etc and what I was became attuned to was what I uh, started to learn was the political economy of education and not to go into too much theory but political economy of education basically says that we are uh, we are told to assume that all things are equal right when it comes to education and opportunity but the way systemic uh, oppression works is that you are made to believe that you just have to do this to get to this level at the next level but when really there's other roles yeah there's yeah. yeah exactly there are other rules at play that the people at the top <laughs> know about that you don't know about and they're using it to keep you in a certain position because that because they don't want it to be a threat to their uh position um in society so um that was actually really good for me because uh the combination of my expertise on what was going on in the education system in africa and then also seeing it happen in apparently the most democ- the greatest democracy in the world, I realized that um, that's really where I need to hone in my, um, my expert work. So uh, fast forward, did a lot of data analysis work and uh, training with educators around this topic and around really making sure that they're creating equitable opportunities in education. And then use that work to also inform what I was doing with CARFI in terms of the groups that I and populations that I targeted with my curriculum. That's wonderful. So help us make the connection now between what you're doing here in the United States and with CARFI and this new approach with young people and young entrepreneurs on the continent, which is the focus of the work that you're trying to do now. So how are you bridging those together? Well, now I'm fo- totally focused on uh, you know the African continent, but the way that it evolved into uh, that was again just being in the communities that uh, the communities that had a large population of African immigrants, right, and seeing their experiences there, and then also having the networks that I had through my connections at the UN, my connections at Columbia University where I also studied, and having them tell me well when you talk to us about this work, we're now inspired to go back home and do something like real and tangible about it. Uh, So very um, specifically, I was attending a conference at Harvard University. This was where it all began with CARFI. I was attending a conference at Harvard University and Again, I was networking, talking with people, and as I'm sharing, I just really insight, like your subtle, like, um, flex. Oh, oh my goodness! It's not a flex at all. It's not a flex at all. But yeah, I was at Harvard University, and I was talking, <laughs> and uh, when I was just sharing all of these insights, uh, people were telling me, you know what, I need to hire you to, um, as a consultant, basically, to just help me figure this thing out. Like, I really want to go home and do something about everything that you're saying. So it was by, not by my choice, but by people (laughs) insisting that they hired me as a consultant that I said, okay, let me formally start CARFI with this mission. So what do you think are the greatest unmet needs, needs for entrepreneurs on the continent? And is it really all about money or is it something else? Yeah, it's it's um it's like a chicken and egg situation. It's like, do you give, do you immediately address the issue of I literally have to think about how to survive day to day, and so I need the cash, 
or and then do, or do you somehow find a way a magic wand to <laughs> fix all of the government structural issues that are causing the poverty to happen in the first place or the inequality to happen in the first place so the complicated answer is it has to happen in tandem but then um one of the biggest struggles that I think um, the continent deals with in terms of like funding and, and, or access to resources to become an entrepreneur is really trust, right? Uh, Africa has been labeled with this uh, connotation of being a place where all things go to die <laughs> or uh, people are just always trying to cheat you out of your hard earned money. Uh, you know, between like the 419 scandals in Nigeria to, you know, just anything else, you know, a lot of investors fear the lack of quote unquote transparency that uh, the continent has uh, in terms of managing finances. So that's really why my f- emphasis on my mission statement is about building up leaders rather than getting you access to, you know, just getting you access to resources. Because uh, what I always tell, and I, and I really emphasize this in my workshop when I was in Kenya, I, I told them that even if I have the money and I'm willing to give it to you. I, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Silicon Valley, I need to have the confidence that you are giving me a really solid plan of, and a, a plan of action in order to re- give me a return on my investment. Right. So I, I think that where we need to really, well, where at least I'm starting, the thing that I feel is within my nexus of control is talk going through the mindset change, right. With entrepreneurs on the continent and having them to start to think, uh, in a really strategic way about why they are, you know, doing entrepreneurship. And what I say that, what I mean is that entrepreneurship is not something new. Uh, It's not a new concept that Africans are unfamiliar with. Like we hustle like to survive. (laughs) If anything, we probably invented it. Right. Uh, Because out of necessity, because we need to uh, feed our children and we need to eat. The thing now is to harness that energy into something that's constructive, um, in a way that you know is sustainable and you think long-term about how this can build generational wealth. And that's really the problem that I'm trying to solve personally. I'm really glad that you said that because you know I, I don't think there is enough credit given to that sort of entrepreneurial spirit within our DNA and how we really should harness that more and cultivate mm-hmm. it more. So, you know, you've talked about leadership, Jean, and I'm I'm just curious, like in concrete terms, what does that look like? What does that look like building African leadership, you know, yeah. from, um, you know, an African core base? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it really just means ha- we have to have faith in ourselves. Uh, you know, people talk about the brain drain. People talk about, uh, you know, people saying, I just can't wait to get out of whatever, put, fill in the blank of the country, African country, um, and go live abroad. And, you know, then I've really made it there. We have to start saying, you know, it's, we want to feel like we've made it in our own, you know, on our, on our own land, on our, in our own home countries. I, I don't think that we should be aspiring to leave. We should be aspiring to have the place of our, of our parents, of our ancestors be the place that is where we're going to thrive. Right. So what I think it means in concrete terms is that if you create systems and for lack of a better word but like for example just simple something as simple as just investing in better looking school buildings better textbooks you know better investments in teacher training just that those really small fundamental steps in the beginning starts to make people feel like okay this is someplace where i want to be 
when when you're going to places where you see dilapidation or you see like you know just a lack of enthusiasm from the people who are supposed to be pouring into you and seeing you as their future as the future of their you know community or as the future of their country then you lack the you lack the impetus for any kind of change to happen um and any kind of leadership to become being uh, being homegrown on the continent right so I think if and if we ourselves on the continent start to look into ourselves and say we value ourselves, like we don't need to wait for someone outside to validate us, and this is what we're gonna, and we also appreciate our young people, and we're gonna say that we're gonna create an environment where you are, you you feel as if we care about your future and we care about you coming back or staying here, and you know creating the the kind of life that we have aspired to you know attain by leaving the country that's when you start to build leadership. That's when you start to inspire leadership. It starts with just, you know, here in the United States, we talk about, um, you know, children are the future. We talk about, like, you know, creating <laughs> environments where children believe that they can be whatever they want to be when they grow up. And I rarely, rarely see that, you know, in uh, the African context. So I think it really is just small things like that um, is where you begin. And that's why my focus is really on building from the ground up and starting from the places that we don't necessarily expect to start when we're talking about leadership, we always start at the end where it's like, okay, you're a child of, you know, African immigrants who managed to make it out through all of this difficult struggle and seem to like, you know, have a little bit of an understanding of how, you know, the the world works the way that we want it to work. So we'll invest in you. Well, it's like, well, there could be many more people like that, but they just weren't told that they could be that, <laughs> you know, from uh-huh. a very early age. They weren't um, poured into in that way in the very early age. So I think we need to start right there before we can talk about, you know, how we're going to start building up leadership. Agreed. It's essential to have a foundation, a well-established foundation that you build on. So um, tell us, how has the COVID-19 pandemic, because the last time we spoke was right before, you know, all of that blew up, taught, what has it taught you about your client base and how are you sort of adjusting and or are you adjusting to meet the needs of that client base? It's been a struggle. Um, and I mean, COVID-19, um, I think was necessary. I know it's a very tragic and unfortunate situation um, in our in our world right now, but unfortunately, we we aren't pushed to make changes that are necessary until there's fire underneath our feet. <laughs> so, um, and even though it was kind of rough in the beginning, because um, so I, like I was saying, I was in Kenya and I was I started that pilot work, and it was just getting ready to expand to Nigeria as well, um, and the wheels were kind of screeched, you know, because of COVID-19. However, it did force me to now, and I hope force several other people to realize that um, the we can't keep operating as if, you know, things are going to stay the same or operating with the status quo. And by, by that, I mean, um, we're in 2020 now, like there's no reason why the African continent should not be as virtually connected as most other countries are. Um, the, you know, just the simple thing of broadband internet that, you know, is consistent, that moves fast and, you know, access to consistent power and electricity are, are things that we're struggling with, not because we, don't, we lack the capacity or the knowledge of how to, you know, use them or to build them, but just because we think that we can just get away with not doing it. <laughs> Um, so if anything, COVID-19 is 
pointing out to me the more reason why we need to invest in our young leaders and, and, and show them how they can be the change agents to actually push us forward into this, you know, the, we've been talking about the um, fourth industrial revolution for so long, and yet we're still dragging our feet to go there. Um, but I think, the, you know, the young people seeing how quickly um, they could go from uh, try, making a living as much as they can to everything being shut down and their whole lives being, livelihood being threatened, I think they have a stronger urgency now to say, like, I need to really figure out the solutions to these problems because I can't wait on my elders or the people in government right now to do that for me. And so um, for me, luckily, I built uh, strong relationships and connections with my attendees and I always, I mean, my workshop attendees, and I and I always am intentional about doing that, but I see why it was very important to do that now because, you know, I have access to their direct phone numbers, they have direct access to me. So we've been still, um, you know, communicating that way, regardless of their access to the internet. Um, or anything else, you know, so thank God that there is, you know, greater access to things like mobile technology on the continent. Um, and just through, you know, simple WhatsApp, <laughs> we've continued, you know, the, the discussion about helping them, you know, realize their leadership dreams, whether it's, um, you know, how to scale up their small, you know, shops that they have in their townships. And then also um, an upcoming event that I have, which is my first virtual um, seminar, uh, we are, you know, figuring out ways that they can connect that way um, to my networks that are interested in hearing more about their small businesses that they're developing and seeing how we can, you know, connect them to people who are willing to invest in them financially and also um, just in terms of like capacity building as well. Thanks so much. That was really insightful in terms of, you know, just again, thinking about what this is going to be mean what the next normal will need to include what what doesn't come along with us you know it's it's definitely a, a, a time of change and tumult um, but before we sort of get into our WTF rapid fire round I'm wondering if you could give me a good news story that really encapsulates the impact that you think Carfi is having Oh, good news story. I mean, <laughs> the good news is that people are still engaged. You no, know, I I really was fearful that the momentum that I started, you know, being in person with the people I was working with was going to be uh, basically thwarted because of the whole COVID-19 situation. But the fact that they are actively reaching out to me constantly saying, you know, we, we, we know that it's not your fault. <laughs> we know that, you know, this whole thing is happening, but, you know, we're still willing to just get little bits of advice from you here and there and still engage with you. And these are people who um, normally people would say that, oh, if they're not constantly, um, if they're not seeing like immediate gratification from whatever you're giving them in terms of like uh, uh, aid or support that they will just lose interest, right? And I've clearly proven that narrative wrong, right? These are people who are self-motivated and are eager to learn and continue to develop their skills regardless of what's going on. We're in the middle of a pandemic and they're still texting me and still saying, you know, we're still interested in building our business skills um, and, and are really inspired by you, Sean. So I'm like very, very honored to um, have built that kind of relationship uh, in such a short time <laughs> with people that I've um, worked with on the continent. Um, and, uh, I'm eager to see, you know, just how, how much they continue to grow. I know some have already built their own, um, 
initiatives around educating uh, people in you know the Kibera Township about COVID-19 and proper healthy um, um, habits to protect themselves. One one of my <laughs> um, alumni actually sent me a picture of a mural that they created, which I think was now also featured in The Economist, um, talking about George Floyd and like the fight for racial injustice in America. So, I mean, I'm just blown away constantly by how um, eager they are to have a global mindset and view about um, being change agents in the world. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to just show how the world is shrinking. Yeah. And that nothing is happening in a vacuum and just yeah. start seeing stronger ties and connections between what's going on in the U.S. and how people on the continent are reacting to that. I just think it's just such such a unique time. Right. And there are so many opportunities that can come out of this. And yeah. that's why they're continuing to reach out to you because I think everyone realized that there's so much work to do. Mm. And it's during sort of pressure cooker situations like this that a lot of things are created and made and things that are already formed are fortified. And I just think that now these types of initiatives that you're doing, like now is the time to sort of deepen and strengthen that because it's giving sort of new focus and new direction to what you already were cognizant of as needs to continue to further deepen and fortify right. um, that work. Right. And so, Lydia, are we at that rapid fire point? Are we, <laughs> we are ready? Are we ready to ask the question? <laughs> Go for it, Lydia. Fion, WTF. Can you tell us where there is finance, funding, uh, resources, uh, grants, any type of assistance support to our key demographic that yeah. you'd like to share? Yeah. So this is not a shameless plug. This is genuinely answering your question. <laughs> but the, the again, the, remember the purpose of CARFI is to obtain resources for aspiring leaders. So we actually have a weekly newsletter where we're constantly putting together a list of funding opportunities. It's called the Iron List. So the IRON stands for Industry Research Opportunities and Networking News. So we're putting together this list every week and sending it out to our over 3,000 subscri email subscribers to give them this information that we know is hard-pressed to find, or it just takes a lot of work to do the research and find, right? And again, because of access to uh, people that I have in my networks, I can know about opportunities as well in advance of when it's made public or where it's widely known. So we put together these resources every week. So I really encourage people to subscribe to the email list because it's constantly changing, <laughs> especially now with this COVID-19 situation. We thankfully have a lot of uh, corporations um, and foundations that are eager to give out grants um, and give out uh, even loans to people who are struggling financially with their businesses. So the link to subscribe is www.carfee.org forward slash subscribe. I highly encourage you to sign up for that because every week you'll get the you'll always get access to the list that we've sent pre prior to, but then there'll always be an update to any new up funding opportunities that have come across our table for the African continent. That is awesome. So yeah. Sharon, where um where can we find you on social? So we know the address to your website, yep. but where else can we follow what you're yeah. doing with your various initiatives? So LinkedIn and Facebook, it's just my full name, Sean Shokumbi. 
uh, Instagram, so says shown, S-O-S-A-Y-S shown. And uh, I also have a blog where, a personal blog outside of Carfi, where I just write about different things, musings that come across my mind, but it's primarily focused on how to also invest and create passive income. And then also um, I have a leadership series on just uh, different examples of women in history who have taught us whether male or female or non-gender non-gender conforming how to be true leaders um on this in this world so just find me find the blog at it's shown shokumbi.com as well awesome thank you so much yeah thank you guys for having me so many gems there i really appreciate it thank you so much so i really enjoyed speaking to shun and hearing her talk about developing leaders in real time, especially under this global pandemic and how to stay connected and support and nurture African leaders at this time, especially when there's just a host of different things happening. So that was just a great um, insight into what's happening on the ground right now. It was also, you know, it strikes me that we have many things in common. Um, having her having worked sort of in the, in the international development space and in the philanthropy space, and having you know had those experiences and being able to draw on the best of those experiences and the worst of those experiences, and bringing that to the work that she does at the moment. So I really. I think that's something to be commended, but also replicated. There are so many people with such amazing talents and experiences working in in these fields, trying to think of ways to make meaningful impact and change. And this is one way to do it. Yeah, and we see see this change happening. And like you said, the beautiful thing about this podcast is we get to talk to a lot of change makers and it's just really nice hearing all of their different individual stories and where they're coming from and what they're trying to do um, in the change making space. So thank you all for listening. Make sure you continue to listen, subscribe. If you have not already subscribed, rate and review, drop us an email. If you have something to say, if you have some feedback to give us, we are always open to hearing from you. So we'll see you next time. Thanks.